Coming up next, Fear is the Mind Killer. So cool. cool no it is i love dune hey everybody welcome (laughs) i just told you that i hate it and think it's stupid and that you're stupid if you like it too (laughs) no no that's not true i'm keeping this take because i do like dune i mean i feel some ambivalence about it and i think it's fun and i'm already getting ready to rub brandon's nose in the ambivalence that he's gonna bring smells like cinnamon (laughs) ambivalence smells like cinnamon yeah my melange. Oh, your melange. Yes. The melange of ambivalence. Yeah. Anyways, I'm excited. I love sci-fi. I love, well, I don't know if I love sci-fi, but I love fantasy, which Dune is arguably fantasy. Whatever whatever Dune is, I like that genre. I really like Dune. I like Dune so much, I'm just going to stand against the charges that I hate Dune. Th- I read not just Dune, Jake, but Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, mm-hmm. and God Emperor of Dune. Wow. Which if you've cool. ever wanted to read about a... Worm man expounding a worm man Ron- Randian philosophy to somebody they, for like, like 600 have pages. Mystical transformations into worms or something like that that becomes well, a thing. Spoiler alert Paul Atreides is a worm son does some kind of ritual and then becomes the god emperor of Dune, who is basically a giant Half sandworm. Worm. Wow. He's, a, he's actually the only sandworm that's left. It's complicated and not a great novel. But Dune, it's, and I think a lot of people that love he Dune. becomes a giant sandworm. <laughs> Yeah, he's got Emperor of Dune. This is after the jihad is spread across the galaxy, and uh, well, we can get into it. But uh, you know, do do I really want to? I was sp- tempted to read Messiah, but then you told me not to, so I didn't. Oh, I would, I would actually probably recommend if people like Dune to read Messiah, but then don't read Children, Children of Dune. I think Neil Gaiman in his intro says Messiah is kind of reads like the fourth part of the first novel. Yes, and I think that is what he says. I think that's about right. The it kind of completes the story of Paul. I, I could spoil it at some point in the podcast for you, actually, but I won't spoil it here at the very top of the podcast. What I will spoil, though, is my name. It's Nathan. Spoiled. Spoiled. And I am, of course, your humble and obedient host. That's Brandon Chasteen. He's dressed like a lumberjack. That's not fair. And I'm okay. He's got a red plaid shirt. I sleep all night and I work all day. The Monty Python reference. And if you were the kind of person in high school that did Monty Python routines, then rightly or wrongly, I really looked down on you, even though I liked Monty Python. I, I like to press wildflowers. <laughs> <laughs> if you wear plaid shirts yeah. and sing. The, okay, Brandon, your name, you're the scholar who's baller of reading. Yes. yes. And why don't you introduce the other guy? Okay. I'm he, just the other guy. Not good enough Just, to be introduced by the host. And why don't Brandon. why don't you inter- why don't Brandon you have the glorious jihad the <laughs> kill him? I'm gonna make the, you the into glorious m- holy war is yours. Yeah, Brandon, I'll declare a holy war on you, this guy. You are Maudib, and so you prepare must prepare to die. You must enter. No, I'll be the Saladin to your Richard the Lionhearted. I don't know. Introduce prepare to die. Introduce the chosen one himself, the Kwisatz Haderach of our podcast. Muadib. Muadib. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love it. Um, <laughs> so much lore that Brandon doesn't care about. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. Yeah, it's just a good grief. <laughs> You're telling me you wouldn't actually want to read the complete volumes of Princess Aurelian's No, works? I got to the end of this book and I'm like, there are appendices to this thing. Like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Brandon, you're the same way at the end of Lord of the Rings. So, yeah, you know, before we introduce the other guy, as we uh-huh. like to call him, well, l- let me just say a patron asked us to do this book, and now Brandon comes out of the gate. Brandon, you're, you're basically, we should call you Baron Bran Conan. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Nathan. Just like Baron Harkonnen. You remember what a jerk that guy was? Yeah. Plus he was fat. Yeah, plus he was fat. Nice call, Jake. <laughs> I wondered when that was gonna come out of the. <laughs> Didn't he have like some kind of floating outfit yeah, that he wore? Yeah, he, yeah, to, yeah, keep, to hold, bolster his fat because he's too fat to walk. Around. We, should, we should look into one of these. For, <laughs> for me? Yeah. Thanks. Nate. No, 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 Brandon. You're not Baron Harkonnen. You're not that fat. You don't actually need technology to keep your body aloft. Thank you. You are just barely capable of doing it yourself. And yeah. we love you. I'm able and, to roll about. And by the way, folks, we don't talk about Brandon being fat. That's not something that we joke about. It's not funny. Fat shaming is never funny. Now, why don't you introduce yeah. the uh, other, other person, guy. Tubbo? <laughs> <laughs> All right, lard face. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> the pastor who's a master of reading. Yeah, it's Jacob me. Kyle Menzel. Jacob Kyle Menzel. You just revealed my middle uh, name. Yeah, now people can find you. The social security number is 628-27-1623. That's 100% accurate. Wow. (laughs) Brandon, do you have the, what is it called when, are you the abomination, Brandon? Oh, yeah, sure am. (laughs) Like Aaliyah? Yeah. Oh, that part was cool when she took the water, the, the water, the spice of life or whatever, when she was pregnant and. All the Benny Gesserit were like, yeah, it is the abomination. Basically, now you have a Charles Wallace walking about. You know? Get out of my mind. Ah, oh, man. Anyway. Cooler she, than Charles Wallace. Yeah. I, just, yeah, I think she's not making man. avocado sandwiches. There's that. She is not. And, and I like to think that if Aaliyah met Charles Wallace, she would probably kill him with a crest knife or whatever the way they call like their that. weapon. Yeah. She'd be annoyed and. Oh, those weird sacred knives. Yeah, one of those weird sacred knives, whatever those things were called. Guys, I feel like... Chris Knife. Yeah, Chris Knife. Yeah, there you go, Brandon. From the tooth of the sandworm. Yeah, a great student of (laughs) the lore of Arrakis. I mean, I I spent hours studying up on this. (laughs) Uh, Well, to be fair, Brandon finished it yesterday or something. Yes. And we finished it months ago in our excitement. Yeah, but I've read several Dune novels since then, including God Emperor of Dune, where a little Leto II becomes a, a sand god a sand god that lives for 3000 years and has complete sentience well of course he has complete sentience so that was a dumb sentence he has complete he's basically omniscient and really hard to kill but eventually spoiler alert they do anyway kill him dead sorry guys I, I don't mean to ruin your enjoyment of the dune sequels i'm sure you'll get right on those why don't we do why don't we reverse our podcast polarity here uh-huh. And do baggage first, because it's sure. obvious that we're all bringing some baggage. <laughs> so we might as well just get it on the, on the table here. So, Jake, what baggage did you bring to Frank Herbert's Dune? Well, as listeners probably know by now, unless you're tuning into Dune and it's their first time with the booking crew, I didn't really, I know fantasy was for nerds. And so Dune would have been for 
the nerdiest of nerds. The uber nerds, yes. Therefore, something I would have stayed far away from and not cared about or known anything about. And that's basically 100% true. I knew nothing about Dune, except that it was some inspiration for George Lucas. And that's about it. I guess the only, only other baggage is that I've become a fantasy fan. I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I've gone all in. Taken the spice. I've taken the spice. And so I was ready to have a lot of fun with this book and enjoy it. And I did. And you did. There we go. Brandon, <laughs> hey, what package did you bring? I've never read nor seen any of the Dune movies. I've never read Dune, nor have I seen any of the Dune movies. I guess we should ask Jake, Did you have you seen any of the Dune oh, no. movies? No, nothing. I, I brought nothing to it. I was pretty... Did you know worms and sand and like I, think at least- I knew sand. I don't know if I knew sandworms or not. I think I, I think I did. Was this movie influential on Tremors? Yeah, Tremors was just how about big. Beetlejuice? Dune. Tremors, Beetlejuice, Star Wars, lots of things. Anyway, Tremors I, I found myself that, wondering yeah. if actually Beetlejuice wasn't just referencing Dune, but if that was actually like supposed to actually be Dune, the planet. I've never seen Beetlejuice, so I actually don't no. know what you're talking about. Or I've seen I've not part seen of either. it. Yeah. There is a, it a sand planet? That's one of those things that I grew up with. It, they, yeah, there's like this limbo place, and then you have to watch out for the sandworms are going to come and eat you. And Oh. Yeah, it's a thing. I don't know. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Not a movie that you should show your kids, in my opinion, but I was a very small child. Like, my parents were still together. So Long time ago. Wow. Five or under. By the way, how many times have you said Six that name? Under. Did we just summon him? I think I have to say it in a row without interruption. How so. many times? Three. Yeah, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And now he is summoned. Wow. Well, if Michael Keaton starts doing annoying <laughs> shtick on this podcast, then we'll make a million dollars. So great. But I was waiting to see which of us were going to do it. <laughs> and we didn't. Oh. Good job, us. We're maturing. Brandon, you were in the middle of your baggage. Brandon? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but as listeners of the podcast probably know, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan. We've got a few episodes surrounding my indifference, ambivalence, whatever you want to call it, towards sci-fi. Maybe antipathy, not, not, yeah, yeah, maybe. So we've got the Star Wars Christmas episode. Mm -hmm. We've got the Ready Player One. Infamous Ready Player One episode. And also, I guess technically, A Wrinkle in Time falls into that category as well. I think I discovered and came to terms with the fact by reading this book, because I, I thought it was interesting enough at the beginning, actually. I was okay, but then I was like, okay, I think I've had enough of this. Mm -hmm. About 100 pages in, and then I was like, but I still have 550 pages left to go. Right. And so it just felt like a slog. It felt like it wasn't doing anything for me. I got enough out of it by the time I was 100 pages in. I knew the world. I wasn't that enchanted with the weird whatever was going on with the drug metaphors and the openness to the future and the Bene Gesserit and all that. I just wasn't all that interested. The characters weren't really engaging. They were they, they were there to play a one-dimensional role, which is fine, If, but I just it wasn't doing it for me. And so in other words, I think I came to terms with this book that sci-fi is just not what I want. It's not my cup of tea. Not your cup of tea. It's not even a flavor that I'm looking for. Like, it's not, I don't feel like my life is missing that flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and it only takes a little bit of that spice to really just overwhelm my senses. Yeah. 
Well, I really like it. I think I have limited patience for it when it's done poorly. Like there are some people that will just read any sci-fi novel because they like sci-fi so much that they just want to live in a sci-fi world, whether there's good dialogue and characters and plot and stuff like that. I sort of exist in the middle. I really love genre fiction and I really love speculative fiction, but I do like it when it's done with a little taste and a little class and there's some di- you know, how many times, Jake, have we gone to see a movie, you know, like a Marvel movie or something like that? And I'm yep. like, well, the tropes were fine, but yeah. can't they hire a screenwriter? Like, did they ever think about maybe having some dialogue? It's it's not that hard, guys, you know. Yeah, like, uh, we'll come out of probably some of the funnest Marvel movies, and that'll be the Nathan thing to say in the parking lot. You know, like, it's pretty common. You can... Like there's a lot of writers out there. You guys have a lot of money. You could um, spend some money on the writers. Spend yeah, you got enough money for these special effects. Well, you know they made a fun movie, and it was all it needed to be to make bank at the box office and make me happy. And so they didn't need to spend that money on the screenwriter, apparently. Right, and then I get irrationally angry, and, and then say, he gets really angry. But yeah. that kind of reductive thinking, Jake, is what's tearing our society apart. <laughs> It's about, the, I mean, that's the level the argument gets to. It's yeah, like, well, people only ever want to do the bare minimum to. Well, okay. We, you know, we can stoke the fires and this is kind of where we can stoke the fires and demand a higher class of fun family action movie. If we want to, we can try that. But at the end of the day, people are going to be looking at that profit margin and we can elevate our game and do our own stuff. We right. want, like, I, I think I've maybe... And when when something really great does come out, like a Knives Out or something that actually is good screenwriting, but that's also fun and sits in that space, you know, we're going to be there for it. Yeah, yeah. And and those are my, that's the sweet spot for me. And I I think- Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones is a great example. Go check out Sanity at the Movies. Go check out Sanity at the Movies. I just love it when it's clear that they're putting in some elbow grease one way or another. I think a lot of that comes from my love of Raymond Chandler, who wrote detective novels and always elevated them into this quasi-mythical kind of poetry of the streets kind of thing. Really had an evocative Los Angeles landscape and these dames and stuff that were all shaded in in very interesting ways and wrote great dialogue. And I just always want... He took all the tropes. He cared about nothing except for dialogue setting and character. Yeah. He didn't care about... Actually what giving you much of a detective novel. Absolutely every detective novel cares about, which is the plot. <laughs> right. And it turns out, in many cases, neither does Nathan. So, yeah. but what I do like is atmosphere. So there's all kinds of things where I think I'm more generous than Brandon, actually, because to my mind, it's putting elbow grease in somewhere, even if it's not liter- literary elbow grease. It's, it's giving me an atmosphere. It's giving me a feeling. It's helping me reach that fey place and my soul that me and the gospel coalition enjoy so much. So that being said, Dune actually defeated me a number of times over the years. I think I've tried it once in my teenage years and I tried it once in my twenties for precisely those reasons, because it just felt like this is not actually going to have elbow grease. This is going to just be the template for these kinds of things, which I guess is fine. And maybe it was more exciting when it came out, but Where's the dialogue? Where's the character development? Where's the writing that actually has some melody to it? I didn't really feel that way this time, though. I I didn't feel that way. I felt like there was, the elbow grease was in the world building. The world was really cool. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Brandon will pick a fight with me over this, but 
I think that when an author can write something that is, how best to put this, not offensive, I would argue that there's nothing you can really point to in Dune and say, that's some terrible writing. You can you can point to any page and almost any line of any page and say that's not great writing. Right. It's just kind but of bland. I don't know where you can look to say that's just bad writing. Yeah, and it's, I think it's, that that in and of itself is is a feat. It's like what well, Brandon, like, Brandon's. Like, no, I'm, I actually I think I just have to agree with that point. Yeah, I don't think there is anything offensive about it. The only thing I think that began to get on my nerves was a little bit of the. It began to feel like a shtick. The inner dialogue stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where the characters and you know have the internal like italicized Faulkner ripoff dialogue that mm. falls in between paragraphs. Yeah. Sometimes that was just silly. It didn't really seem like any thought anybody would actually ever have. Well, one thing that we all do when we re- come to Dune is we just think, ah, what a ripoff of Faulkner. I just th- I think, <laughs> you know, it's almost like, I'm, I'm almost sorry you went there because it's such an obvious point. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm glad you're acknowledging the value of my criticism. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandon. That was that was a low blow. <laughs> I mean, as far as Faulkner, just Faulkner was one of the ones who did it first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, and there's and I mean, you know maybe, people really shouldn't imitate great authors. They shouldn't. I was about know. to be meaner. So. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to feel like Ready Player One on trial again. <laughs> I was about to say there's not really any evidence he ever read Faulkner. That was worth saying. That was worth saying. I wish that. He was interested in characters, you know. I mean, I suppose I'm just giving a preview of all my criticisms I don't, here. Because I don't know that he has much to say. No, he doesn't. Yeah. If people are thinking that I'm going to come out and just be really mean to this novel, I'm not. My take really is. For those who like that kind of thing, it's the kind of thing. And I'm not like. even saying that that makes you inferior just because you like this sort of thing. That's not like my point. My point is literally completely just based on taste and what this book did to me. This book irritated me because I did not want it to be that long. I just wanted it to be over. How come I get in trouble every time I say that about Agatha Christie? <laughs> but you're allowed to say Go that ahead. about... <laughs> Go ahead and say it. Make, be, be mean to me. Uh, I don't care. Okay, snob. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I will, that's why I'm saying I'm not... I'm, I don't want people to come out and say I'm... Maybe there is some snobbishness to it. <laughs> sure. Fine. But for what You know I, what I wish wasn't as long? What? Everything Dickens wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair <laughs> enough. Dune is easier for me to read than And there Dickens. are people out there who are going to say, well, I wish Tolstoy wasn't quite so long. But I find myself just so engrossed in that. I, I promised I wouldn't say. Uh, yeah, I haven't said did, it yet. No, but you did compare him to Tolstoy. I haven't you, said you it have yet. done it. <laughs> You've done it. I, I know. You've crossed I, the line. Oh, oh man. man. If this I'm was sorry, a YouTube guys. video, there'd be a little <laughs> Tolstoy comparison count. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> One. I told you guys I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Fire me from the podcast. I'm gone. I'm out. Tolstoy can be as long as he wants. How many be. minutes are we going? Uh, we've been, we're under 20 right now. It took me less than 20 minutes to break my promise. Less to than 20 minutes to break the promise not to compare Dune to Tolstoy. <laughs> I knew that was the danger. When I started talking about the length of the novel, that was where it was going to go. But <laughs> you just fell into the classic trap. Yeah, and I'm trying. I say I'm trying to dig myself out of a potential hole, and I think I'm creating the hole by just drawing attention to it. Mm-hmm. But it's the whole snob thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to say that, you know, I've just read so many good things that now I have, I can't <laughs> bear the taste of something that's bland. This is like what I say about Agatha Christie. I've had so many steaks yeah. and can't yeah. bear to eat a cheeseburger. Yeah. And that's the, that's the accusation that people are going to make. And yeah, maybe it's true. But still, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I always say things like, I don't want to say people that like Agatha Christie are idiots. And then you guys, but, are, but you just want to imply it. Don't you, Nathan? Eh. 
Yeah, but you actually do employ it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> so, oh, I guess I'm just trying to have my cake and eat it too. Well, why shouldn't you, Brandon? Why shouldn't I? Have your cake. Yeah, why shouldn't it's I? It's the only thing you eat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. Oh, uh, no. Brandon needs lots of things. He's a very healthy guy. We don't like to talk about his little weight problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> Baron Harkonnen, as we call him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. No, I, I think actually my only criticism of the characters, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, is Paul should have been more of an everyman and less of a messiah figure from the very beginning. That's a mistake in the plotting, I think, that he... Yeah, I mean, it starts out okay because he at least... It's the same trick of Harry Potter where you have this really well-developed world that Harry somehow isn't a part of. Right. And so we get to discover it along with him. That... It starts out a little bit that way where you get to go on the journey of discovery with Paul, but he is something different from the outset. He's not the poor abused kid locked in the closet that anybody can relate to. Yeah, he is other. He's super adept. He's, I mean, it's nice wish fulfillment for guys. Like, I wish I was always one step ahead and just blessed with awesomeness, which is yeah. which Harry Potter is too. But Harry Potter has that hook of what if you were an idiot who, or a loser that was had those things whereas and you were constantly surprised by having those things yeah whereas dune kind of skips that step a little bit yeah he just is awesome he is awesome and he becomes lawrence of arabia so quickly when he's put with the natives that yeah you know and he's what like 16 or something yeah i think so maybe even 15 yeah but that's that's my major criticism of the novel i think is that we don't actually have an everyman, and it's certainly throws. Leto's the closest thing to an everyman. We're going to kill him off early. Yeah, and he's one right? of the most sympathetic and best yeah. characters. It's kind of sad when he dies. Yeah. And then Stilgar actually is a decent everyman, but he yeah. comes from this weird tribe of desert nomads, so he can't really be. Yeah. And when, uh, what's his face? When he comes back. Oh, um, Garrett? Gurney? Gurney Halleck? Gurney, Gurney yeah, Halleck. when Gurney yeah, Halleck Garrett. comes back, he's kind of fun. Gurney Halleck's the man. I love Gurney Halleck. Playing that bassinet or whatever it is he plays yeah he plays the bassinet yeah. he's an expert sword Rocks man the baby yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the bassinet yeah, i like gurney gurney was fine yeah he was a nice hand hand solo sorry what am i lando calrissian he was a nice han solo i thought he was so as far as like drawing cartoon figures he's pretty good at it <laughs> I mean, again something i'd be raked over the coals for saying <laughs> but Agatha Christie, yeah. as far as sucking at life she's the best <laughs> so yeah, I like it. so. I like Dickens, and Dickens writes cartoon characters. So, I mean, I think Doctor Yue interesting, maybe a little bit racist. Yeah, the first book of this book, you know, like the first fourth of it, the characters are all kind of interesting, and you feel like maybe they're going and interesting places. places. Yeah, to go, and then yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he cares about ecology and po politics, mm -hmm. and he has stuff he wants to say about ecology and politics. Yeah stuff he has to say about politics is not bad no it and gets pretty weird in the I'm later sure, books yeah and it's weird in places in this book too but i don't know i mean what i read he has other things that he wants to say it's about the like brandon said or whoever said at the top it's about ideas first because that's the genre mm -hmm. and so. and your interest will wax and wane depending on how much you like the world and how much you like the ideas so he goes out of his way to hook you on the world and hook you on a plot and hook you on some characters, and then we're into politics and ecology. Right. Yeah. And all the sequels are just extended dialogues. Riffs on uh, politics and ecology. It's, but it's basically like he, 
he in the first couple sequels they're fun because he'll throw an action scene in like every hundred pages just and it'll always be something wild like a space tiger or something like that but space tigers yeah there's a they're called laser tigers and one of them goes after leto jr and his sister the twins a space tiger yeah well it's a trained assassin space tiger brandon you know how it goes (laughs) Awesome. It's called laser tiger. It's a laser tiger. Yeah. So one of the fun things, I guess this can be a little bit of extra baggage. I came to Dune fresh out of Tolkien and I found it in some ways refreshing that he didn't care about being super poetical and flowery. Mm -hmm. And he actually spent time on his action scenes. Yes. And his action scenes were Pretty awesome. Yeah, the big sword fight. Even just Paul being trained by Gurney and then... Yeah, the training scene, the sword fight, the sword fight with What's-His-Face, where he kills the dude, and the sandstorm at the end and the battle, all that stuff. Freyd Ratha. Where he kills Freyd Ratha at the end. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ratha is the the effeminate prince guy, the bad guy, right? Like the... He's stinging. Oh, right. Yeah. But then the battle, the even better is the battle with the... Oh, that one dude. The dude in whatever the... Lemissa or whatever The Fremen guy that he has to defeat to kind of make his place in the tribe. Yeah, that was the sword fight I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably the coolest fight in the... In his his first sword fight and they're all confused and... Yeah. yeah, That was awesome. Yeah. They ride in on those worms. Yeah, no, it's great. Gives way more time to action than Tolkien and that was nice. Oh, I was thinking it's going to be fun to see what Vanderhoe, whatever his name is. Oh, uh, Villano or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Villano. Yeah, I usually hate him, but yes, I'm looking forward to the movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Great I know cast. The cast is amazing. <laughs> so yep. it's exciting. I'm excited about that movie. I'm excited. And presumably by the time this comes out, spoiler alert, we're recording this a little in advance. There'll be like trailers and stuff, but yeah. we, we can't talk about them right now because. Yeah. It's coming out in Christmas. Yeah. It's coming out in Christmas. And who, who knows what they'll do too. I mean, it may go direct. Yeah, we'll see. At this point, Disney's already announced that both Milan and Black Widow are going direct. Right. When are they going direct? Soon. Yeah. Huh. Soon, but you have to watch it on Disney Plus, and you have to pay $30. Of course right. you do. Because it's Disney, and they're- It's like taking your family to the movies. Yep. Pop some popcorn, charge each of your kids $5 for a bucket. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> then you make up for the movie. Yeah, there you go. Well, that'll de- that'll tell you a little bit about how far we're recording this in advance. Jake lives in Evansville, folks. Give us a break. But probably you all saw and loved Milan by now. You, you're guessing love? I don't know. You know, the early trailers made it look awesome. The last trailer the, made it look The last stupid. trailer, yeah, made me question. Yes. Yeah, they really should have second guessed putting Mushu in. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think Eddie Murphy has earned his place in the pantheon of great. Oh, okay. I'm not even going to finish that joke. Cat style dragon with Eddie Murphy's face on it. It's <laughs> <Yep>. weird. <laughs> Milan, September 4. Now is what they're saying. We're almost to September already. Yeah. We're getting there. And it'll be soon. A couple weeks. And Black Widow. Looking it up. November 6. November 6. Yeah, if I was going to go for a straight Tolkien comparison, I would say Tolkien probably a little better. <laughs> but <laughs> better action scenes dune has the better action scenes and it's interesting you said he's really good at world building but one thing he's not as keen on doing as tolkien is like the details of that world like mm-hmm. you don't know what any of the buildings look like or anything like that he's not really on he's not really about describing that sort of level it looks of like tatooine man yeah, yeah i mean i think that just up to your imagination you do have 
40 years of things that have ripped it off and kind of given it visual language since then. Yeah. I mean, you know what it, you know it looks like Star Wars, the speeders that they go out in when he, when when Leto sees his first worm attack or whatever. You yeah. you know what all that looks like cuz Star Wars did define that aesthetic. I mean, yeah. the crawlers that they use, yeah. those, uh, Star Wars has those guys. And we've seen a million Re- movies with crawlers giant thing that looks just like sandworms. I mean, we've seen tremors, we've seen I haven't seen the Tremors, Hobbit des- desolation of. Uh, I have seen Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, the but Hobbit. Saturn actually. Giant... I looked it up. So there's a sandworm in... on Saturn. In the Hobbit Battle of Five Armies, is that what you're asking about? Yes, there is. What? It helps the orcs do a sneak attack. You don't, you don't remember this part of the Hobbit? No. <laughs> there's a sandworm right before Turiel the elf fell in love with the with Kate with. Well, Turiel is Kate. Oh right. Right before Elf Kate fell in love with the little dwarf man. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. He <laughs> told I was smoking. It's nice to know that a dwarf can get an elf to fall in love with him. <laughs> the, 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 elf, the pipe leaf had clouded Tolkien's mind at that point, I think. Yeah. Uh, I was joking. That was, that was not meant to be a serious comment. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Okay, Except so in my case, where Peter this ugly Jackson, dwarf of a Brandon was able to get the beautiful elf and Princess Anna to fall in love with him. It shocks me every time. Yeah. The ugly dwarf Brandon got the beautiful princess yeah well who knows you know maybe tolkien was on i think he was right it's just our story (laughs) (laughs) okay so tolkien better than or worse than dune we're following this down the line better action scenes in dune there's a sandworm in tolkien no it's not in i forget that it was even the movie the the movie takes like one line in somewhere in tolkien where someone says something about a sand eater or a worm or something and makes it into a creature in the battle of the five armies it's ridiculous and stupid the word the old medieval word for dragon was worm no there is a line where somebody talks about a sandworm type creature in tolkien but we never see one or encounter one or he he never filled it in it's just one of those references kind of like the goblin king getting his head cut off and it going into a hole and it inventing the game of golf it's just one of those one of those dorky little references. hobbit yeah, references. I mean, worm is what they would call dragons, but yeah. We get that you you know about dragon lore. Brandon. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> okay, so is there anything else that Dune does better than Tolkien? Uh, Less poetry. Yeah, well, there is still some, <laughs> but at least it's not. It's actually not he as said annoying. It's less bad poetry. More yeah, bad academic crap. crap books that are. Yeah. written about the characters that we have to hear long excerpts about it is often said that the muadib there will be pages that's the other thing that's lame about the sequels is there will just be pages and pages and pages of that stuff it's, it's like and you guys were right it certainly does explain itself at the end as to why that's there wait are you being sarcastic no you're right it does no, I'm <laughs> Pr- not being princess sarcastic. aurelian was sad and lonely yeah. <laughs> so sad because paul was only interested in the babe yeah whatever her name was shaney johnny johnny yeah. I mean, Johnny with a name like Johnny. Zendaya in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, seriously? Indeed, yeah. Makes sense. Who's playing Arulan? Mm, good question. Probably. Oh. Yeah. Who's playing Paul Atreides? Uh, the... Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, Chalamet. Uh, some guy, uh, he was in something. Um, <laughs> he enough. played Hal in that Netflix version of Henry. Yes, that's oh, true. Yeah. Uh, but Oscar Isaac is playing Leto the First, which is pretty great. Good choice. It's a good choice. Uh, Josh Brolin is playing Gurney Halleck, which is an awesome choice. Yeah. Is it Jessica Chastain? Or am I just saying, mixing it up because the character's name is Jessica? Who's playing Fred Rotha? That was Sting in the old one. Yeah, it was Sting in the old one. Sting is awesome in that old one. Are they going to wear those same outfits? (laughs) 
Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson, who's great. She and she really plays Jessica. She's yeah. really good at that kind of ice princess role. Jason Momoa plays Duncan Idaho. That's pretty great. It's a good choice. Dave Bautista plays Rabin. Okay. Ron Hogan. Stellan Skarsgård plays Baron Harkonnen. That's pretty great. Javier Bardem plays Stilgar. That's also pretty great. I didn't know that, actually. It's a pretty good casting choice. It's a big, awesome cast. Who who are we asking about? Who's playing Fred Rotha? Fred Rotha. Fred Rotha and Aurelian we need. I don't think... Have they not cast those yet? Maybe they're just not stars that are... Or maybe they ended up being more or less cut out. I could see modern sex politics making us not want Princess Aurelian in there. Could also be a sun cast yet. No. I mean, no, it's coming out in December. Yeah, they've already, already filmed their... No, I mean, no. Liet Kynes is Sharon Duncan Brewster. I don't know who that is. Thufir Hawat yeah. is... Two roles. This was as of Steven April 14th. Henderson. Two roles that have not yet been confirmed are Princess Arulin and Fade, who was played by Sting. Huh. I bet they don't... I bet they're just not going to have them in the movie. Well, you know what? Actually, since it's only part one that's coming out, we may not even really be getting to those characters. But does it say that it's part one? Yeah, you know this is a two-parter, right? I, they, did, I did not know that. They divided the book into two. So we're going to be getting two years worth of... So what are we getting up to this point? Like, I'm going to guess that they probably flesh out a lot of the stuff on Caladan. And I'm going to guess Oscar Isaac is probably alive through most of this movie. Probably ends with his assassination, I bet. Yeah, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if it's actually like Paul's yeah. lost in the desert at the end of this movie. And yeah. we're going to pick it up when he's... I mean, we're going to have him and Zendaya together, though. So maybe he's... Didn't we see shots of them in the same place? Yeah, we did. But they could potentially just be shots from... His memory. From the shoot. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be it part of the first movie. It could also be his memory. Yeah, you're right. His memory? His one dreams. His, Remember he had those dreams dream is oh. a girl calling him Musil. Right, 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 right. That could be all that is. Come on, guys. Who's the, who's the Dune fan here? Yeah, well, Brennan. You are the Dune fan. You are the Dune. I am the Dune. I am the Dune. No, I heard His dude royal Dune fan. Yeah. I'm sticking, I'm sticking yeah. with You're the that. dude fan. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon famously loves the Big Lebowski. And uh, I am the Quizot Sazerac. Or Hatterac, whatever. The Cuisinart Sazerac? Yeah. Cuisinart Sazerac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the. How would you rate Herbert's ability to generate crappy fake Zero. words? Zero? Yeah. You don't like terrible at <laughs> You don't like Cuisot Hatterac and no. Maudib and. Maudib. Basically, it sounds like he just took a uh, Arabic dictionary and scrambled you, you a few need words to around. not you need to not be like when when a, when terms like that first hit you, you need to not sort of have a visceral laugh reaction or a eye roll. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Quizat's uh, Hatterack sounds like a cheese, right? Like I, I did the same thing. I started calling it. I, I call this Quiznatch Sazerac. Yeah, the Quiznatch Sazerac. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's just like so easy to make fun of or to, you know, spoonerize or do something weird with because it just sounds so silly. Yeah. It can't sound that silly. Yeah, I so, mean, I'll give it this. It has a little oh, bit of an exotic, it has an exotic Eastern flavor that is nice if you've been steeped in sci-fi and fantasy that's all based on some kind of Western tradition. I'm sure that's part of what the appeal of this book was is just the the eroticness yeah well i think it's racist well it probably is brandon i mean i think we put him on trial for being a racist older he's certainly drawing on then you'd have to get colonial tropes isn't he sure is man let's do a post-colonial uh, queering uh, reading of this i'm sure people have done post-colonial i mean this oh, is the classic I'm white being... savior yes this uh, is definitely shows up and shows the natives how to 
be themselves. Be yes. themselves, yeah. Who be- becomes the <laughs> ultimate native? It's Tom Cruise in Last Samurai. This it's, is definitely yes. It, Kevin Costner and Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. It's Avatar. It's all those stories. People love those stories. I love those stories. I mean, they're fun stories. Uh, I mean, who's the better Herbert, him or George? <laughs> <laughs> Hammer Sherbert. <laughs> wow. Um, who's better, Frank? Him or Marshall? Frank Marshall or Frank Bomb? Frank Costello. There's a lot of Franks out there. <laughs> Interesting where we went. Brandon went to Frank Bomb. Yeah. Brandon went to Frank Costello. <laughs> yeah. I went to Frank Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> what does that say about? What each does that of say us? about us? I like to read about gangster lore. Yeah. <clears throat> I like children's literature. <laughs> I like fun movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dark. <laughs> Brandon's an intellectual and Jake likes fun stuff. You know, Jake's guys, an idiot. <laughs> Jake's, Jake's an idiot. <laughs> uh, no, not yet of that. Wait. Uh, okay, let me, um, this has been a very free-ranging discussion. It's like we're wandering over the deserts of Arrakis of discussion. Better not give it give it your water. That was cool. Wasn't it cool how when people would cry and stuff, they'd be like, do not give the desert your water. Yeah, they never actually said that in the book, in my opinion. Well. I could be wrong, but yeah, that's just right. No, mentality. it's uh, Paul sheds tears, I think, when he hears that his dad is dead and all the Fremen are like, what? He is, our savior is giving the desert his water. Oh, I don't remember that. It's pretty cool. I, I remember he cried in the desert by himself after he was alone. And gave his water to the desert, but I didn't think anybody else was there for it. Oh, you know, he, he gives water to the dead. That's what that was the line, which is a cool line. Yeah, he gives water to the dead. I actually, wrote yeah, it the down. whole pressure, the whole idea of the water and how precious it is to the society was was interesting. I actually didn't mind the. Everybody talks about this as being a big liberal ecological book, and I suppose it is, but that element of it didn't really bother me that much. No, Actually, we're so used to swallowing that stuff by now, maybe. Yeah, it probably felt pretty daring tame. and interesting but at the time. But as yeah. far as like giving an aspect to this world that's really interesting, the whole preciousness. He he was he followed through with that trope pretty well. The idea that they raid corpses for their water. He made you they, feel thirsty. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was good. Even the idea of spilling water when you go into a rich man's house because it's a way of showing extravagance and excess and that being what the duke decided not to do because he was going to be different Mm -hmm. hey he found interesting ways to work that in that actually worked pretty well yeah there's a part of me that almost doesn't want the harkonnens to attack even though that's the inciting incident of the entire darn story because the story of leto just showing up and trying to kind of out how to that would have been a really interesting and fun story yeah i mean that was the more interesting story to me yeah like like leto deciding that He's, they're not going to spill the water, but they are going to go out and give good water to the people to drink. All that stuff and all the things that could have happened. That was cool. Yeah. And you had actual, as opposed to Machiavellian pawns that most of the characters are, you had a little bit of actual human emotion between Leto and Jessica and yeah. the idea of the concubine who's also a wife, as, as lame as that wraps up, is kind of interesting in the, the first chunk of the novel. Well, the fact that he has to not make her his wife in order to protect her and to protect this family. So long as he doesn't have a wife, he is in play, you Mm -hmm. know, all that stuff. Those tensions, those were interesting. And the idea that she defied her order in order to actually give him a son. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a tiny little shade of 
emotion and dimensionality there that no, I think that kind of lacks in the rest of the book. I think Duke Leto is one of the more successful characters. And now that we're talking about it, I don't want. I wonder if that's kind of where the book lost me is when he is no he longer died. a part of it. Well, it's kind of. A, I just never found Paul and Jessica at the beginning. He's just an. I found him annoying. Paul. And I know that's part of the goal here. I mean, he was wanting to show what happens when we follow a charismatic leader. So he's not supposed to, Paul's not supposed to be like the ultimate hero. Well, I think he's, he's questioning that, right? He's questioning whether what, so he's saying we, these heroes exist, but it is, is it always a good thing? Yeah. And that's Herbert's, that's what he said about these books. Well, Paul is going to cause a jihad yeah. that's going to sweep through the galaxy and you know, yeah. that's the whole thing. And he can't avoid it because. He's just that charismatic that people are going to line up behind him and he's that powerful and that special and it's inescapable. The only thing that could stop it from happening is people. So he's going to kill billions of people. Yeah, it's interesting that as somebody who's kind of one of the successful originators of just explicitly bringing the Campbellian monomyth into, into mainstream pop culture, not that it hadn't always been there, but you know what I mean? It's interesting that he's already questioning it a lot more than actually the people that ripped him off would do. I mean, George yeah. Lucas is just going to give us a straight version of the chosen one, but Frank Herbert really wants to in maybe the original sci-fi chosen one classic. He's already saying, do we really want chosen ones? Or is that, is this a good thing? Pretty deep. Brandon It's very deep, maybe a little too deep for some people. I think that's all it is. People I who are I'm only just interested not, in Tolstoy. I think I'm just not smart enough for sci-fi. <laughs> That's smart I, just enough. I just don't care about politics and philosophy enough. I think if I were a deeper person, I think that's what I've discovered. <laughs> it's fine. I'm okay being shallow. Well, this conversation has been a little bit of a grab bag. I guess we'll get to our actual context next week. But let me let me ask you guys another question. Yeah. Why do you think that this novel, this is kind of the main question for me. Why was it so successful? Why was it so popular? What is it about this thing that, like Brandon says, it didn't grip him. Jake says, yeah, it gripped me, sure. But this thing has been a touchstone for nerds for now, for decades. Like, what is it? It's effective world building. It's futuristic. It's not in the past. And outside of Tolkien, what fantasy sci-fi can you point to that has anything approximating Dune's quality, Mm -hmm. both, you know, in terms of writing and in terms of all the other aspects of it, like whatever faults you want to give it, it's not schlock. No, it's not. And maybe I just don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I just don't have a good enough grasp of the genre. Maybe I just have, maybe I have prejudices that make me assume things about the genre, but it feels like it's a genre that's been hurting for actual quality Mm -hmm. for a long time and dune has some real quality that lends a certain kind of dignity to the genre itself and it's cool and it's got some politics stuff and maybe the kind of person i don't know i think maybe if i was going to perfect what you just said i think you're basically right from a mainstream point of view obviously the nerds out there are saying what about this thing that I love or this thing. I was like, yeah, but Jake hasn't heard of it. Right. And maybe that's partially the fault of the thing for not being a little bit better. Dune also came out in maybe the other way I'd perfect the statement is Dune came out in 1965. It was definitely hurting then. Whatever you want to say about your modern fantasy stuff, you know, the genre is glutted with books now and some of them are quite good, but yeah, 
then we were just like 65 Tolkien's hitting the mainstream right then the counterculture the summer of love is still in the future those people the hippies are adopting Tolkien and making him popular in the United States when Dune hits so those are your big two you have two complete thought out interesting worlds that you can kind of let your imagination roam in even after the novel's done like it feels like it's not just propped up for the sake of the story but there's this complete world here and that's cool it's playing with a lot of ideas that people had to think were compelling the idea that we seed religion across the galaxy in order to be able to manipulate people yeah all kinds of stuff like that that people are going to be intrigued by religion ecology politics his whole pragmatic the, the, kind the of philosophy. Politi- the politics of, I mean, what if we knew Hitler before Hitler became Hitler? Mm-hmm. You know, was kind of half the question he's asking. Or Stalin, or all these like scary Mao, or. And if we could see all of time, would we in fact choose Hitler in order to stave off something worse? Right. Which is a fun question, I guess. Um, yeah. Certainly the nerds thought it was. Well, this ep- this episode of the booking did not go the direction that I thought it was because I thought we were going to give our context first and stuff. We still need to do that. But I guess those are some general thoughts on Dune, kind of a grab bag of general thoughts. And we'll be back next time with more general thoughts. For right now, what we generally need to do is call out our patrons. Call them out. Call them out, yeah. <laughs> hey, punks. Hey, come on, patrons. What is wrong with you? Why'd you ever give to us? No, we love them and we're going to shout them out. That's what I meant. And a little drop us a review slip of the tongue. That's why I could never be Maudie. People dropped us some really nice reviews recently. So yeah, thank you for that. Please. Yeah, we, we liked them. Yeah, we liked them. They were encouraging. And uh, if you ever want a way to help our podcast, maybe you're not quite ready to uh, or, or able financially to support us, but you just like to do something nice, then tell a friend about the podcast or leave us a five-star review somewhere. Say something nice. It really helps. And it's really encouraging to us. But what else is encouraging is the time of the show where we shout out our patrons. So why don't I say the name of the patron? And then Brandon, you say... Something. Okay. Got it. And Jake, you say something. Robert and Ronda the Lovebirds. Something. Something. Well, folks, I guess I asked for that one. <laughs> the Artful Anthony Dodger. Something. Something. Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Something. Something. The Immortal Chelsea E. Something. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Something. Lily of the Valley. Something. Something. And Ernesto the Lovebirds. Something. Something. The Keith Master. Something. Something. David's Mighty Men Trucking. Something. Something. John and Jill and little baby Max. Something. Something. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Something. Yeah, something. Fairy Princes of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Something. Something. Console Prime, Adam. Something. Something. Jeremy, the dark-hooded Lord of Death. Something. Something. Neither not me. Something. Something. Maya. Maya. Something. Something. Ryan, the Red Avenger, and Judith something. of the Ladies of Justice. Something. Danny the Dude. Something. Thing. DJ Sammy G. Something. Something. Benny and Dana. Tiberius. Something. Something. 
Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks, Professor Lady X, Lavender's Green, Dylan Dylan, Dylan Lavender's Blue, Lavender's Green, Dylan Dylan, I love you too, no constriction, merit cheap, the fur and fragrant maiden Chloe, Anthony who is called Nate's Life, Liberty in the Pursuit of Cheese, Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger, Rachel, Midnight Ninja Ellen, Queen Kangeta, Return of the Jedediah, Jay of Rack and Ruin, Timothy the Writer at Dawn, Something. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees, Something. Maddie, 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 Something. Sweet Jamie Sunshine, Something. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, Something. And Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light, Something. Cold Steel Cody, Something. Jacqueline, the Librarian, Barbarian, Something. John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Daniel, his mate, Something. Saxophone Alex, Something. Eli, the Scarlet Pilgrim, Something. Of course, our old friends, the other saxophone Alex. And dubstep Danny. Something. And of course, our old friends, Ryan the Terror of Texas and Eric of the Cream and Crimson, who are stuck in the cold, please send cheese. Send that cheese, Brandon. I'll send it right away. Something. Something. And folks, I guess we should say, if you want to be part of that crowd, how do you become part of that crowd, Jake? Go to patreon.com forward slash the booking and you give at least $10 a month. $10 a month gets you a shout out behind the scenes content, which you can get for a cheaper level, but not the shout out. Bump up to $25 a month and get a shirt. Get a shirt. This year it was, it's not Christmas, y'all. It's not Christmas, y'all. And bump up to $50 a month, arguably our most popular level. You get a book a month mm-hmm. and plenty of time to read so you can. Be ready to hear us discuss it. So, and now, Jake, do you get crappy, like, you get Dover editions? Nope. You get really nice copies of these books, and they're all then ruined by us because we personally sign them for you and draw pictures and say things in them. You'll be thankful one day when we're world famous. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, if by ruined, you mean, like, your grandchildren can sell these for thousands of dollars on whatever That is exactly what I meant eBay by ruined, yeah. is at that time, then... Using water as their currency. Using water as their currency, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I gave that more laughs than it probably deserved, but You're I welcome. thought it was funny. Thank you, Nathan. So. Thank you. Brandon, anything you want to say to the people before I roll the credits music? No, I don't. <laughs> Would you work for the Harkonnens or the Atreides? I think I'd be one of the Freeman. You'd be a Freeman. Yeah. today produced by me executive produced by jake and me brandon was on the show contributing his awesomeness you are welcome i did not thank you you're I just still welcome stated a fact you'll take my welcome whether you want it or not nathan you know what you're right it would behoove me to do that <laughs> since i want you to appear on this podcast all right folks we'll be back next week with more dune yay yay <laughs> yay <laughs>